At the Sports History Network, we're proud to introduce you to a new sponsor for our podcasts. It's Homefield Apparel, your premium collegiate apparel brand right out of Indianapolis. They've got incredibly comfortable t-shirts, plus they're officially licensed with vintage college designs. They have over 150 plus colleges available now and always adding more. Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. When you shop today, new customers can get a 15% discount off their first purchase using the promo code SPORTSHISTORY at checkout. You can learn more at homefieldapparel.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome to Game Film, the sports movie review podcast, with your hosts, Oz Davis and Aaron Harris. Okay, so like the Android lady says, this is Game Film. I'm your co-host, Oz Davis. And given the three movies that we're about to consider, I've got to ask my co-host, Aaron Harris, how did we get here? Well, I'm a masochist, so (laughs) I just had to put myself through this. (laughs) Okay, so I was trying to come up with a tidy way to describe the loosely knit trilogy of films we're going to be watching today but uh, how can we describe this in brief because it's not animal sports movie movies that's not right what would you go with like gridiron creatures maybe gridiron creatures i love it all right it's hard to say definitively man because i think the deeper you go into these kind of movies the more you see that this is an actual subgenre you know, I mean, this is something that's been going on for a while, and it was much to my surprise. I mean, I didn't really think about this until you had emailed me that we actually do have one movie from each era of sort of, you know, family or, you know, child-centric entertainment. I think t- two of which are made by Disney. The other one, I don't remember what the production company was, but it is a little interesting to kind of see the evolution and kind of see how the idea seems to recycle itself. I guess. All right, so... In honor of football season, this is the first game film we're doing based on football and during football season 2021. We're going to talk animals playing football, beginning with the one that probably started this whole bad idea, recommended to us by Greg James of the From the 55 Yard Line podcast. Here it is. We're ready to go. This Adam Ball Club has nowhere to go but up. It's a team that during the entire exhibition season, they didn't win a single game. I'm up the creek, flat. I got lots more talent for you to see, Mr. Cooper. Our boys have learned how to hit a few people. If we could only teach them which team to hit. I got a bet for you. I'll refinance you for one year. You have to go from zero to seven wins or you lose the team. Charlie, I want to hang on to that team, but you're digging my grave. Get that Yugoslavian mule that kicks 100-yard soccer goals. Might be worth a look if it's for real. Ah, ha, ha. You might 
have come up with a winner, hey? Ready, Gus? The story of the year has got to be this amazing California Adams team and their miracle mule, Gus. Yes, it's time for Gus, that 1976 Walt Disney live-action film described at the IMDb as, quote, the inept California Adams floundering in the cellar of the National Football League welcomed the team's newest member, a mule capable of place-kicking a football 100 yards with deadly accuracy. This is what they call a high-concept movie that can be easily described in one sentence. The description of our third movie is way better because it gets the job done (laughs) in one sentence, a tight sentence. So the high-concept movie, the listener should note, I wanted to, that this is clearly an alternative universe NFL in which trades can be made during the playoffs, I guess. And this allows players to go helmetless on the field, but necessary for close-ups. Uh, I know this is the 70s, but still, I'm pretty sure in those days you had to wear the helmet with the chin strap. I guess if you're a mule. Now, if you're not a mule. Uh, Aaron, now, you were not around in the days when Disney thought it was a great idea to produce these throwaway G-rated family films instead of animated movies that made up dollars so what is your experience of this film and what if anything is good about it well i I think i started watching by the time i was born in 94 i I still think i was on the tail end of a little bit of the live action mixed in with animals or you know like a movie we're going to talk about later on i hadn't seen it when i was a kid but I, i still think i was kind of in that period where they try to blend uh out of little fantasy element to live action films um but watching this i you know this is a movie i can understand that people like as an adult but they had to have seen it as a child you know someone like me who didn't grow up in the 70s and didn't really grow up with a lot of slapstick comedy i mean i like slapstick comedy when it comes to sketches especially in movies i can kind of take it or leave it but this is definitely a movie you have to see in the theaters in 1976 for you to like this movie as an adult because watching it today i had zero patience for it whatsoever you know you you say what is something i like about the movie i I mean the i can say it's a it's a good it's shot well i I guess you know i mean when you have the cooperation of the nfl it's amazing like how good of a quality football (laughs) picture you can get especially when you have you know the green bay packers and the los angeles rams making cameo appearances and dick buckus has a little role in there and Dick Enberg and Johnny Unitas. I mean, that's pretty much what drives this movie. It's the star power behind it. It's the brand of the NFL that says, Hey, come check this out. We got NFL talent. Um, I, I just kind of, I, I can see where the influence is too, because you see later on in the movie to me, the ending in a way is, is a little similar to home alone with Tim Conway and uh, Tom Bosley. Yeah. I could, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of use that as an influence for crafting that subplot in home. Um, 
and you know the Adams. I guess it's kind of a a weird nickname with a weird uniform. I kind of like the Adams. I think the Adams is great. It lends itself to a logo. It's kind yeah. of been ruined by all the Watchmen stuff lately. But you could have. I mean, it makes a nice logo. Um, I think it would be more appropriate to like New Mexico for like the bomb testing site. Right. Yeah. Or like Nevada. Yeah. Except you're always going to end up with Las Vegas you know, gamblers yeah. or something like that in Nevada. Right. Yeah. I, I like the Adams and yeah, the football looked good. I thought the mule was great. You talk about the star power being important here. Okay. This is a G rated film, right? So I thought it was looking back at it now. I thought it was really funny that, okay, here are some of your bad guys in this film, right? Okay, so you've got Rhoda Morgenstern's father, mm-hmm. right? He's he's the one threatening, you know, the team owner who is Lou Grant right. and Asner, right? You've got the ain't and enough father is this crooked high-level bookie, right? Plus, you've got Richie Cunningham's father and friggin' Tim Conway playing hitman. Right. You know, it is very, very hard to take this seriously or even comedic. A friend of mine has this theory that it's impossible to do a good G rating. And I've always kind of resisted that idea. But just looking at these three films that we're looking at, you know, you kind of believe it. I mean, if only because, if only because, like the rest of us, Hollywood, Disney in particular, thinks that we're all stupid you know so of course it lends itself to reason that kids think they think kids are stupid too of course of course that's a lot i mean is a kid really going to differentiate too much when they're watching this i feel like this is made specifically for three or four year olds i don't really know if it's stupid (laughs) as much i don't know if it's stupid as much as a wild imagination i read a review of it which actually said that a contemporary review of this film that article claimed that it was made for 10 years old at And you talked about those of us who had seen it when we were kids and we could only like this now. Okay. This happens to me all the time. Mm -hmm. You see something that you liked as a kid from the late seventies or the eighties, right? When I was going to high school and you look at it now and you go, wow, this is terrible. And I'm talking stuff that is thought to be good, like cheers, I mean, and night court. I mean, this is stuff that we thought was good at the time. Family time, you know, and, and, and the same goes for these movies, too. I mean, it's not just like that this is bad. It's stupid as yeah. well. Um, you know, of course, as a kid, I loved it because of the football and stuff. But now you're looking at it, you're going, it's amazing how much they dumb this stuff down. I mean, okay, the mule comes from Yugoslavia. <laughs> you get past. Yeah. You get past because you have to in all of these films that they let an animal play a sport with humans. Okay, right. you got to get past. All right, but even beyond that, the animal comes from Yugoslavia, which at this time is you know communist, right? They're not letting this happen. Right. I mean, you know, Sabonis is still playing for the Soviet Union, et cetera, et cetera. You know, quality athletes. Are, okay, everybody speaks perfect English in Yugoslavia. You know, everybody like has the same lifestyle in Yugoslavia. I mean, it's the leaps of faith required are just well, and also, yeah, it's wild too. Like the uh, when you're watching the football scenes, you can see like a green screen. Oh. <laughs> well, you just see like how they're definitely acting in front of nothing and having to <laughs> cut and paste yeah. an actual football crowd behind it. 
Yeah. It's it's so terrible. Yeah. You know, because again, like there are parts where the donkey has to act. And the donkey is great. The mule is great. Yeah, he's I trained mean, well. It's funny. It's charismatic, even the one where they get it drunk. That's a great one. Or yeah. it has to like pretend to be friendly with the with the people. It's fantastic. I mean, and, and that's one thing that really links these movies is they all depend really on the char- charisma of the animals. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. The thing. And the mule is fun to watch. And then they put them in the football situation, and it's like they're not even trying. Right. Yeah. The thing you see it like nudge the football, and then they cut this football is flying like a hundred yards away. And it's got the sound. It's got the sound effect with it. Yeah. Well, I was a little surprised that Don Otz didn't really have much more presence in this movie. I mean, obviously he's the head coach and he's one of the top built actors in this, but I just kind of feel like he didn't really play much of a role in the overall story, which for me, I kind of thought that he would, that was surprising. I, I thought that the, uh, the actor uh, that played the owner, what was his name? Ed? Ed Asner. Yeah. He had a, I, the story surprisingly was a little too focused on him, which surprisingly i don't think you find in football movies a lot usually like the owner is kind of in the background and has like that villainous <laughs> supporting role uh whereas this one he's kind of like leading a lot of the plot forward but you notice in this film in all these films right there's the threat it's like if you don't win the championship you're out <laughs> you know in one form or the other abduction is like the the main theme that ties all this together it's the same plot <laughs> it's the same conflict that arises in all these movies that's what makes it right. so this is probably like the first episode where all three movies literally align perfectly together but this is a triple mm-hmm. feature that you're going to watch and you're going to see okay that was driven from that and that was inspired by that you know right. it's so formulaic it's amazing it's almost the same movie exactly yeah Are you ready for some football? Some fantasy football? How about some daily fantasy football? Silly questions, right? Of course you are. You're ready to talk some smack and win some cash every Sunday, and Thursday, and Monday, whenever there's football games. The Sports History Network invites you to play your daily fantasy football this season at thrivefantasy.com. Thrive Fantasy offers hundreds of thousands, millions in cash every day on NBA, MLB, PGA Golf, Cricket, Esports, and of course, NFL Football. Every week during the 2021 NFL season, Thrive Fantasy has pool play contests and heads-up matches with prizes of all sizes, and even free play contests for real money. Sign up with Thrive Fantasy today to get a 100% match bonus on your first deposit for up to $100 in free daily fantasy football play. Visit sportshistorynetwork.com slash thrive, that's T-H-R-I-V-E, or enter promo code S-H-N when depositing at the cashier. Join Thrive Fantasy today, earn cash prizes, and support great shows like this at the Sports History Network. Now that's a win-win-win situation for you to kick off your own NFL season. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique 
unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. All right, the next movie that we're going to discuss is Bonzo Goes to College. And this is the second installment in a franchise revolving around a lab chimp that's adopted by a family at the persistence of a college football coach's granddaughter who ends up quarterbacking the team before trouble ensues. So this is the earliest entry into this episode that was released in 1952. And I'm curious, had you heard of the Bonzo franchise before this film or had you seen any of them? <laughs> Everybody that was around in the 80s knew about the Bonzo movies because guess what? The most famous one, Bedtime for Bonzo, I think that might have been the first one, starred Ronald Reagan. Okay. And so once he was elected, and even when he was, because the thing is, Ronald Reagan was an actor in Hollywood at this time. 50s was his heyday, mm-hmm. right? While everybody else was getting blacklisted, he, he stayed around and, you know, got to do these movies. And he did all these B movies. And so mm-hmm. when he was running for president, you know, that this is one way that people were making fun of him, was bringing up all the crappy movies that he had done. And of course, he eventually earned the nickname. They decided to use that in his favor, his people. And they, they played up his role in the Notre Dame story, in, oh, in the um, movie about Notre Dame. In, uh, New Rock, New American. Right, 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 right. He's George Gibb. Right. In that film, right? He's the kid that's and go out there and win one for America. He was that kid. So yeah, I know the Bonzo movie. See, the the first time I ever heard of Bonzo was when I was a kid. I must have been like 10 years old. And my godfather would come down from South Carolina when they'd be visiting and we would shoot pool. And he was a really good pool player, still is. But at the time, you know, I'm 10 years old. I just try to hit the ball as hard as I can. I would never make any shot. And here he would be like about to shoot the eight ball in and he would say bedtime for Bonzo. (laughs) Uh So that that to me was funny. But yeah, whenever I first checked this out, I thought it was interesting because it feels like that a monkey is or a chimp is going to be the animal that is most... camera friendly because i think it could take directions really well and plus it's going to be able to do more uh similar things that in within the game of football than other animals can't and it's interesting when you actually get to the final sequence of football action it almost seems like it would fit naturally if you did put a chimp in real life to run a single wing offense you know i mean what (laughs) what they're doing is actually i don't think is implausible if you were to train someone to do it and obviously you see them like throwing peanuts to try to distract him but this is also the same plot and this is also something like we've mentioned how similar these these are uh this is the movie that kind of kicks off I don't know if all movies within the genre, but certainly within this lineage of sports movies of the animal being kidnapped and being replaced by two gangsters, mobsters, or people who are in debt trying to make a big score on the betting line. And uh, this is what kind of kicks it off. And it's interesting to see, and it's a little shorter than the other ones, you know, it's only like an hour and 20 minutes, but I think it kind of really sets the the tone for the genre in years coming forward. Yeah. This one's the one that created all the tropes. Yeah. Again, the Bonzo flicks were, were amazingly popular. Bonzo, I forget 
what his name was, quote unquote. But but they used to bring this animal on talk shows and stuff. You know, he'd be on Johnny Carson and stuff. I mean, he was a celebrity. I mean, this was probably one of the bigger animal celebrities, not including like, you know, like a secretary or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the biggest animal celebrities in America. Seriously, it sounds insane that I'm talking about this. But, but yeah, so so people knew who this was. This was a very popular movie, mm-hmm. I'm sure. I don't know what the actual box office was on it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> people, people, this, this, everybody saw this and it created all these tropes. It created the tropes of um, you have to win it all or you're through. Um, it created the trope of this team sucks so much, we're going to get an animal because we've got <laughs> nothing to lose, right? right? And it created the trope of you have to kidnap the animal. Right? That's the only way to stop them. And it's and almost like the trope of like the animal is one of us, a sort of a deal, yes. like outside, like off the sure. field and within the family. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what drove me <laughs> bananas about <laughs> this movie is that right from the beginning, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's a chimp. He's going to move in with us. Like this happened all the time in the 50s. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like a cat. You know, it just comes in, just moves in. No problem. Everybody takes them as granted and whatever. And and again, like I talked before about, you know, insulting to the intelligence, these movies, right? How how totally stupid they are. I don't care if this is 1952. This is really stupid, dumbed down filmmaking. I mean, like, okay, right at the beginning, this, this had me cracking up. I was laughing so hard. Okay, so you described it as a lab but that's not exactly it, right? Because at the beginning, he's doing like this sideshow thing. Well, it's a sequel. I said from the sequel from the first one in the context. Oh, of okay. That. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. yeah, bedtime for Bonzo, right? So he, he's just in a sideshow. Right. <clears throat> you know, it's kind of like a con game almost, except it's legit, right? Where this monkey like answers people's questions. Right. And the monkey ends up running away because he's berated by the showman for missing like Joe DiMaggio's batting average by one point, right? Like not let's get this psychic monkey under study. Like let's learn what we can learn about primates from this thing. No, let's try, let's not be amazed by the fact that it knows what baseball is. So you begin with that completely implausible thing, right? Then you get the whole subplot with the little girl who loves the chimp. The, the stray chimp that just walks in, you know, she's in love with him. Her millionaire, millionaire, billionaire grandfather, you know, who's been avoiding this family because they're too low rent for him, comes into town. He gets all angry because he was brought there under false pretenses. Girl throws a hissy fit, and he 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 says to the family, he's become human again. And the next morning, he's taking the 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 monkey golfing. Right. <laughs> it's like what going on it's almost like a meta thing it's almost like everybody in the family knows who bonzo is just like the movie audience does you know it it just drove me up the wall i couldn't believe i mean this again this is stupid stupid stuff even for a turner classic on on this level it really the monkey is fantastic it's also it's also interesting too that this is actually kind of described as a college comedy and it's (laughs) When really the college has absolutely nothing to do with it. But I do think it is actually kind of interesting how 
a college comedy in the 50s where the college is not even present evolves into a college comedy in the 60s where some films don't even leave campus, you know? So it just kind of, right. it kind of shows like the, the social benefit of being in college in the fifties, as opposed to like the sixties and the seventies. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's kind of cool. Like what they would consider a college comedy back in the fifties when they were barely even shown inside the school. And how did you like the ending? Cause the ending. Oh, like, the NFL scout. Blew me away. Yeah. <laughs> that blew me away. So, okay. Spoilers folks. You're going to want to fast forward a minute, maybe, because uh, we're going to discuss the ending really quickly. I mean, okay, so at the end, uh, you know, Bonzo is being talked to. They, they've won the game by everybody's party and whatnot. And then Bonzo is listening to this guy who's offering him a two-year contract or a three-year contract to the NFL. And they see what's happening. All the humans, the sympathetic humans, see what's happening. And they go, no, Bonzo, no. Yeah, it's don't join the NFL. You could be an All American. <laughs> it was amazing. It was one of the. It was the sign of the times, 1950s thing, right? Where college football was more prestigious than pro football. Almost have to think that like the NCAA had to like shadow finance some of these movies because it's like every single college football movie has to have like that that moral dilemma of do you go pro or do you stick it out for do you do you retire as an all-american or do you continue into the pros and kind of jeopardize your credibility you know it's just so say there you go saturday's you love that yeah exactly yeah no really no really college is clean yeah college is good college football is not bad pro football that's shape there's no money involved Greatest sports dog ever is entering a whole new ball game. Oh man! A boy looking to fit in. Open up with B fifty two. Which one's B fifty two? A team looking for a miracle. That could give you some kind of headache. And a dog with a nose for the game. Dogs don't play football. <laughs> <laughs> Turning these underdogs. This doggy will make us rich. Into football's top dog. If you believe that a dog can play football, you better believe that we're gonna win this game. How are we gonna play? When doggy gets close, snap him with net. Snap him with net. <laughs> Okay, here we go. The big finish. Let's talk Airbud Golden Receiver. Now, I promised before that this film is the highest concept of any high concept film I think I've ever seen. It is a sequel to the first one, which I presume for which the concept is pretty much exactly the same with one keyword substituted. Okay, here is the IMDb com summary for this film. I should have a drum roll. Drum roll, please. Okay. Airbud Golden Receiver is, quote, the story of a golden retriever who can play football. Unquote. That's, that's this movie. Now, okay. Granted, there are some payoffs to the family movie tropes, right? We got lots of family movie tropes in here about, you know, the dead father and the widowed mother who's now getting out there and dating again. And then, of course, you have, guess what? You have the coach 
who supposedly will be fired if he doesn't win the championship. And he's doing what? What even is this? Junior varsity football? What level is this? Yeah, they say junior varsity. I mean, they keep referring to a league like okay. the community league, but I mean, they're playing at the school. <laughs> so I don't really know what they're, what league they're in. <laughs> I don't even understand what the pressure to win here is. I mean, is there a TV contract? I mean, what's going on? There's like 200 people going to these games sitting on those little wooden benches. So anyway, we have that trope. Uh-huh. And long story short, because it takes a long time relatively to get to the football this thing. Eventually, you know, the team is desperate enough to take Airbud on the team, who apparently is known for being famous at playing basketball based on the first move. So it's not like they forgot, like in Bond too. The team becomes awesome, yada, yada, yada. Dog gets kidnapped by some really just awful, unamusing characters that yeah they recreate that sort of again that home alone kind of stuff yeah but i can't even imagine when is this released like 2011 98 98 even okay so maybe that's just far enough for eight-year-olds to have been amused by this stuff at the time but for me this is just there to promote more russophobia you know, like, like, let's be afraid of the Russians. Let's stereotype the Russians, whatever. Nora Dunn is desperate for work, I guess. Let's put her in this movie. I don't know. This is clearly the worst of these three movies. Uh, first off, it takes itself way too seriously. I mean, we're supposed to believe that these kids are actually trying to tackle this dog. <laughs> you know, I might believe the monkey. I might believe that in college football in the 50s. But I don't believe in the, in the late 90s that, you know, th- these kids are actually trying to hurt this dog, okay? Second, it looks terrible. I mean, Airbud Air is making Tom Brady look good because these footballs are seriously deflated that he's having to catch. I mean, they're not even trying. It doesn't it, – the football is half empty. Right. And it's because I'm pessimistic about this film. And third, and this is what really got me, is that the character is played by four different dogs. I mean, that just totally bothered me. It's like, why? I think why well, I think one of the dogs died originally. Like the what? Original, really? Yeah, I think the original Airbud actually died and he was in this for a little bit, then they brought in someone else. I guess they had two other dogs to actually do the stunts. Wow. Yeah. Okay, because that sounds a little urban legend-esque, but that would explain. I think in the credits, they actually dedicate one of the movie, the movie to the opening dog, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. This movie I actually found to me was like the most watchable. And I think the reason was because like, I don't think that the animal was the focal point of the movie. I mean, but obviously is a big part of it. But like, I think he more compliments the cast as opposed to the movie just focusing solely on him. You know, it's like in Bonzo, the movie begins and ends with the chimp. Essentially, Gus, there's a little more flexibility. There's a couple different subplots going on. But I think this one, it's like you have like that family drama element and then you have like the fantasy element that comes in. And then that's whenever the two kind of merge. But I think for me, it was like all these ideas are rooted in fantasy and you know, whether it's just completely unrealistic no matter which way you look at it so i guess my very similitude is a little bit more forgiving than yours when it comes to these kind of movies but the thing that really bothered me more than anything was the actor that played the mother's boyfriend this guy just looks creepy 
from the very beginning. <laughs> he looks like a John Vernon kind of villain. And here he is trying to convince the kid, hey, we need to trust each other if we're going to have a relationship. Like, get the hell out of here, dude. <laughs> you look so, he guy just looks so creepy. I think Gregory Harrison was his name. Like, this is a guy that I think was in like um, an 80s movie about like being a male stripper. And here he is trying to convince <laughs> a kid in a Disney movie to be his friend. Like, it just didn't work on me for any level. And yeah, like the, the part with the Russians, I can see why they included that in there. And there's, oh. a, there's a scene in there whenever they're watching Gus. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't I don't know, but it does feel like the chimp was kind of put there deliberately and maybe as like a, a nod to Bonzo. I don't, uh, maybe, sure. I'm, maybe I'm just thinking that's what I wanted to be, but it might just be they just wanted to include a chimp in there. But um, yeah, that, I think the movie probably could, definitely could have survived with that. But I get why they maybe wanted to put it in there as like a nod to the subplot of Gus. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But see, I mean, I know that we're dealing with an insane plot. Okay, I'm not complete without perspective on this stuff. The, the genre is animals playing football. Okay, but that means that if you get around that insane concept, that means the rest of the film hangs on that. And the rest of the film in this one, Airbud, was just not there. I mean, again, it's the same reason why I'm calling out Bonzo, right? It's just dumb script writing. It's just beat to beat to beat. This doesn't make any sense at all if you look at it on the whole. And again, I'm not talking anything about the animals. Like, okay, for example, did you notice how the kid's sister just kept showing up every once in a while? Yeah, she really served no purpose. And then did you notice too, right towards the end, mm -hmm. they slipped in this little kid that's hanging out with the coach that's like, you know, whispering plays to him. Yeah, he's like the, the the kid with the glasses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like, I don't know if he's like. This came from out of nowhere. He's in there for like two bits and then gone. It's like, what happened to this? Well, he was he, he was in scenes earlier in the movie as like the team manager yeah. or something, but he didn't have any speaking parts. So it does feel out of place that all of a sudden right. he finds like a voice that uh, that contributes to the game winning play or whatever it was. Yeah, see, that would have been a funny bit. Yes, we know you're going to have all the tropes. I mean, we watch Star Wars movies and they have all the tropes. It's no problem, but you've got to like put some clever spin or some clever dialogue in there or develop it. You know, like they tried to do this thing in the final football game where they tried to do this broad burlesque act with like this Abbott and Costello referee duo. Okay, that's fine, but you don't just throw it in there at the end. You know, this should right. be a running gag. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like they were putting this script together on the fly. And, and the one thing that really drove me crazy is that why is the coach wearing not only a Seattle Seahawks cap, but like a knockoff Seahawks cap? Why is he not wearing the cap of his team? Every coach does that. I mean, did the, did the team even have a logo? Whether the Timberwolves. Well, yeah. He could have just had a team. I don't. I, I don't know if there was like um some deal they had with Seattle. Like I don't know if the it didn't say anything about the NFL being involved, at least not in the opening credits. So I don't know if maybe because Warren Moon does make an appearance when he's uh playing the Seattle quarterback at the end. So I don't know if Seattle like made like a product placement deal in this movie or something. But and then who was this receiver? Oh, I don't even. Well, uh, Bud. <laughs> Bud. <laughs> no, he had a no. Yeah. 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 No, he had a proper NFL receiver there because at the end they have spoilers. They go to a Seattle Seahawks team, and uh, you know, they have Warren Moon who never played for the Seahawks throw into somebody who never played for the Seahawks, 
And I remember in the beginning, they had those guys in the credits. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is like Dick Butkus, right? In the, right, yeah. In the, in the Gus movie. And the, by the time this movie finally finished, and I had gone through the gamut of, this is so bad, it's good. And then it went back to bad again. After I'd run that whole gamut, I was like, oh, yeah, Warren Moon's in this film. <laughs> yeah, as I, well, he did, he did play with the Seahawks for two years. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. 90s. Yeah, 90, 97 to 98. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, it was before the uh, Mike Holmgren era, but yeah, he did play for two years. Okay. So yeah, I totally yeah. okay. My bad. I totally forgot. Yeah, I don't I don't know who his receiver was, but yeah, I, I think for you know, if you're three or four years old, I guess you can jive with this movie. Maybe if you're even a little older, especially if you like football, but it, it's a fine line in these movies to make something that's either just completely stupid or to take itself too seriously. I think this movie mm-hmm. def I think this movie was definitely capable of taking itself even more seriously than it did. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it, it's perfect for a nineties. I think this was released theatrically and actually lost money. So I, I think it kind of, oh, fits. Yeah. I think it definitely kind of fits what was popular at the time of incorporating yeah. like a family drama into a, a fantasy setting, but well, air, Bud, if I'm not mistaken, was down with the NBA, you know, they right. were, yeah, the NBA was behind it. I don't know if they sponsored that. I, I never saw the film. That was also in the, in the midnights, I guess. And, uh, but no, 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 no. The NFL doesn't seem to be very apparent in here at all. I'm wondering if maybe that's why he was wearing the bizarre Seahawks cap. It's just, you know, as a slam to the NFL. It's like, okay, try and sue us for using this. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. But yeah. yeah, little, very small kids will like this, but they won't understand what they're watching because, yeah. you know, the dog is nice. The dog is nice. It's tough to hate a dog in a it's tough to hit uh, primate. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's like, if you're into football and watch this, for me, it's like when I was a kid into martial arts and I love three ninjas, even though, you know, right. 10-year-olds aren't right. going to kick in a grown man's ass. But when I was a kid, that's why I liked Gus, right? And that's why I liked those goofy uh, Kurt Russell movies that Walt Disney did with weightlifting and stuff like this. That's that's why I love them. It's, it's cool, sports. It's interesting how whenever you watch um like earlier when you said a lot of movies you've seen when you're a kid that now you're like i can't believe this was ever made like i actually find the reaction for me is i find more movies that i saw like six or seven years ago i don't like as much now but movies i saw when i was a kid as an adult i can say okay i can see where the attraction is Mm. not that i'm gonna go out of my way to watch it whenever it's on tv but (laughs) i'm like you know what I, i can sit down and watch it through as an adult just to jive with it well it's like it's like the lines from 12 monkeys right it's like the movie never changes it's you that's changing right yeah that's your deep thought for the day we actually got something deep out of movies about animals playing football one thing that i wanted to mention thinking about bonzo right now being a uh like a genius at the beginning that's actually might be a good double feature to watch with 2001 a space odyssey <laughs> after the opening half hour of the movie <laughs> Maybe that maybe that exp- maybe that explains Bonzo. Those are his ancestors. Right, yeah. <laughs> his direct ancestors. That'll tie oh everything. That'll tie in together. Okay. I didn't think we could get lower than <laughs> us, but I guess we have. Let's wrap the show right there. Just wanted to say before we go that Gus is available on Disney Plus. Bonzo goes to college. You can watch for free on YouTube. And Airbud Golden Receiver, if you insist on paying for it, is available on Amazon Prime. 
We do not receive advertising for, from any of you. And you can also, I found on YouTube, you can watch uh, Airbud with Indonesian subtitles. Oh, really? Airbud Gold Receiver. All right. I was reading a uh, Google review of uh, Airbud, and most of the review has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. I think the guy was just drunk and started rambling on. But he starts off by saying, Rob Gronkowski, question mark, more like Rob Dogkowski. That's the way to end off. It was just another ordinary day in the offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items, thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. <laughs> Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football, college basketball art, Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of row one sports memorabilia arts and prints. You can too by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W-1. Number one today for access to the full Row One catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t shirts, long sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at checkout. And keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in Orville Mulligan, sports writer, coming soon.